Hey, everyone, and welcome to TechGC's podcast, Good Counsel, where we explore the most important legal issues affecting today's technology companies. It is Thursday, December 5th, which is also the day the TechGC Jobs newsletter goes out. This is a curated newsletter released every other Thursday that brings the latest in-house opportunities at high-growth tech firms. Highly recommended for all lawyers out there, and you can go to jobs.techgc.co for more info. Links provided in the description. So moving on to today's episode, this is part one of our patent troll series, where we look into the industry of asserting dubious patents against tech companies, why it has perpetuated, and what tech leaders can do to fight against the problem. My guest today is Doug Luffman. Doug is a seasoned in-house counsel in Silicon Valley, working as chief IP counsel and general counsel for both startups and Fortune 500 companies, including NetApp, CBS, and Caspian Networks. He is now general counsel at Nomus Solutions, a fintech company with over $25 million in funding from investors such as Accenture, Silicon Valley Bank, and Bank Capital. Much of our conversation is geared towards best practices for companies when dealing with patent trolls. We talk about the distinction between patent trolls versus other patent assertion entities, the management of patent cases from an ecosystem standpoint, and also practical ways companies can fight against patent trolls. With that, let's go into my convo with Doug Luffman. Doug, thanks for taking the time. I want to go into the issue of patent trolls because it's an issue that affects every technology general counsel I speak with, and clearly it induces a negative economic effect for the tech industry. So first, can you distinguish for us the difference between a patent troll versus other patent assertion entities? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I think they come into probably three different general categories, right? One is the business organization that has a patent portfolio that asserts it against another third party. And that's the traditional way of licensing and assertions. And that has always been around since the Constitution included uh, basically rights to intellectual property. And so that has always been you building a portfolio as kind of a trading chip with another third party that might come after you so you can get into a corporate cross license. And the likes of Intel and IBM and Microsoft and Cisco and others have done this for years. The second category is a licensing entity. And a licensing entity from the standpoint of whether it's a patent pool that talks about you know standards-based technology or other types of technology where they're licensing out and enabling a specific technology and there's a clear rate that you pay and you engage. The third one is really a legal entity that really was structured to really be solely a licensing entity for specific patent assets. They assert patents of a dubious quality. And then the purpose of the actual litigation is not to really monetize it because they're being in fringe, but rather for litigation nuisance value settlement costs. So they're not going in with a patent assets that they truly believe is of high quality and is clearly being infringed and fundamental to the industry, but rather playing the game of trying to increase the cost for companies. So when they weigh the cost benefit analysis, a company might decide that you should pay versus trying to defend it because it would just be more cost effective. And what type of companies are going to be a high target for patent trolls? You know, the first one is obviously you got to be making money. Otherwise, it's difficult for them to actually claim that there's some sort of royalty rate that they're going to get. And they're always looking for the big fish. So the closer you're getting to going public, there's always that risk that someone's going to throw in an assertion just before you go public. So I think that's probably the first point where you might see it. If you're talking about hundreds of millions in revenue is probably one element, or if you're high profile from the standpoint of in the press and appearing to be growing exponentially, you might start getting that target on your forehead. And then of course, as a public company, everything becomes very transparent as it relates to what your revenue profile looks like. And people can pull up your 10Ks and 10Qs and dig into it to understand kind of who you are and where you're revenue mixes and what potential upside a non-practicing might have by trying to assert against you. And when a patent troll contacts your company and says you are infringing on a patent, they are basically throwing out a number that encourages you to settle because the cost to defend against it would be much more. 
So I feel for the companies who simply give into these settlements because in the moment, it's simply the cheapest option. Right. And I think that goes to what I think we've chatted about in the past, which is in order to address this, it is not just accepting it as it's a cost of doing business and just paying these kind of shakedowns, but rather figuring out ways to more cost effectively defend against it. Because the more money that is being placed in the secondary market, it encourages more of this. And so unfortunately, a lot of companies think, well, if I settle one of these suits, I'm good. You know, I settled for $100,000. I can just step away and I'm not going to see it again. But rather what it's doing is it's encouraging other entities to do the exact same thing. And if 10 companies are each giving $100,000 each, you're talking about someone just made a million dollars just by sending a cease and desist letter and potentially some loosely drafted claim charts, then just collecting checks. And again, it's not necessarily that easy, but at the same time, you want to at least really set an expectation that if somebody is really going to try to assert patents that are potentially gray and it's not clearly dubious and clearly of nuisance value, but rather there is some grayness to it, they're going to have to do some work in order to establish and substantiate it. And the company needs to realize that they are going to have to incur some cost in order to defend. And it's really with the long-term objective in mind, which is to raise the level of expectation on companies that are asserting patents against a third party to ensure that the legit stuff gets through and the stuff that's really kind of the ankle biters, as some would say, really do not find that traction because it's just not cost-effective to either assert it and it's cost-effective for those to defend it to really push back and not settle just for the sake of settling. And that ties well into what you've talked about before regarding the ecosystem play that when it comes to patent trolls, it's best to take a collaborative approach with other players in your industry rather than hoping your competitor would get weighed down by a patent troll case and thus you would come out ahead. Can you go a little bit deeper into the idea of the ecosystem play? Sure. So from an ecosystem standpoint, when I started my career, I think the general consensus was if my competitor loses, it's a win for me. And that might be from a business standpoint when you're competing against someone on your products and your technology. When it comes to a non-practicing entity that is really trying to leverage the ecosystem and just trying to monetize wherever possible, I've ultimately came to the conclusion, and a lot of my colleagues have as well, that it actually is not advantageous for your competitor to pay a bunch of money to a non-practicing entity because that ultimate money is going to then be used against you later when they assert that very same patent against you and establish some sort of trend around various companies taking a license. And so the approach that I think I've subscribed to over the last probably five, 10 years is that from an ecosystem standpoint, if there is a patent of dubious quality that really is not being infringed by anyone, really reaching out to colleagues in your industry and really having a conversation with them. And it's not necessarily suggesting kind of collusion or anything kind of devious, but rather from the standpoint of back to the cost of litigation is that if seven different companies are all dealing with the same patent assertion on the same facts with the same technologies related, then it would make absolute sense for the companies to share information as relates to prior art that was in the industry that potentially may invalidate the patent, sharing other types of approaches as well around cost in order to really drive down the cost of litigation in order for what might be a three to $5 million litigation, really only costing you maybe $100,000 because you're sharing the cost across a number of different companies and being able to dispose of the matter much more quickly and encouraging others not to settle because they're not alone. And often the way that a lot of non-practice entities work is kind of divide and conquer, make each individual feel like they're alone with no resources and a high cost in front of them to make this thing go away. And once you know that you're not the only ones and that this is a pattern of behavior, it really emboldens a lot of companies to stand firm, not settle and challenge the validity of the patent. And so to close, can you provide some baseline tactics for those who may have to deal with a patent troll case? So starting back to the definition, right? It was a legal entity asserting patents of dubious quality and for litigation 
mitigation nuisance value purposes. So if you start breaking down each of those elements, you then have potentially areas that you can actually go back and use kind of techniques to push back against a patent troll or non-practicing. So from the standpoint of dubious assets, I mean, that's really saying that that patent is invalid. It's broader than what's already in the public, and therefore they really shouldn't have a statutory right to exclude others from the market with this patent asset. And so we've already talked about the first part of that, which is reach out to colleagues of yours and say, hey, do you have prior art that might actually show that this invention was predated by a bunch of other technologies and therefore they lose the asset altogether. And so I think different vehicles for actually challenging the patent and its validity are cost-effective is hugely important. And there's an administrative proceeding from the patent office called Interparty Review that actually allows you to do it. There are also entities like coming by the name of Unified Patents that actually has systemized and operationalized doing this type of thing. So finding ways to actually establish that the technology was already out there or that there's actually an entity that'll actually go out and find the information that you need in order to invalidate it is, I think, a good way to deal with the dubious nature of an approach. From the standpoint of litigation nuisance value, I think that is decreasing your cost and at the same time raising their cost. And I think raising their cost, one is holding their feet to the fire to do the due diligence that they really should be doing up front. Also, the threat of sanctions. You know, a non-practicing entity that had approached us, we not only got an apology letter from them, but we also had sanctions assessed against them, which outside counsel have in the past been very cautious to suggest that sanctions is difficult to get. But I think you should go into these types of matters with documenting the inappropriate behavior from the second that you engage with them to the moment where you're making your sanctions argument to the court. From the standpoint of uh, joint defense, finding ways to make joint defense more efficient, we've used different types of organizations to project manage the joint defense. And by doing that, it relieves you and your team from having to manage it yourself. And at the same time, show some kind of neutral third party that's trying to hold people's feet to the fire as to action items that they have, dates they're supposed to deliver things, and suggesting ways of escalating things to different people. And so I think that's another way as well. So those are some different ways of potentially reducing the cost on your end, as well as heightening the bar that non-practicing need to attain in order to really get past go on some of these discussions. This has been part one of our Patent Trolls series. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And for more ways to be at the intersection of law and technology, visit us at techgc.co and follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'm Chris Sands. Thanks for listening. <laughs>